everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hi, Hannah. How are you? I'm very well. It's lovely to see you on a Saturday morning. It is. This is this is the I think this is the the very first podcast I've ever recorded on a weekend so weekend it's a first edition. it is the weekend edition <laughs> of the my mom's podcast um and yeah I'm good thank you I'm 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 normally such a morning person but I feel like it's just like sod's law isn't it that the first time I ever do a morning podcast um I um, I feel really tired and and drained oh. I've had I've had a couple of coffees and stuff and I'm I've got um, one with you right now. Yeah, so I, I'll be able to make it through, and I'm sure as we, as we talk, I'll be better. But yeah, I just, I don't know, I feel, you know, when your eyes feel a little bit heavy, like I just feel, I almost feel like this isn't real. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm still yeah, in a dream yeah. somewhat. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, for sure. Particularly now it's getting dark in the morning and I'm leaving and I'm getting up at work at five. And yes, it does make that, that yeah, it makes everything a little bit more complicated, doesn't it? Yeah. You're going in the morning, but yeah. Yeah. So you you just mentioned work briefly then. Can you tell the people who don't know what you do? Can you tell people a little bit about what it is you do? Of course. So I'm Hannah Lewin. I'm a personal trainer um, and have been for just over five years now. Um, Prior to that, I had a a sort of marketing role in a completely different industry. So this was my sort of second career um, and my last career. So I was... um, wanting to obviously switch and I'm very very glad I did I work with women um always now um I have obviously worked with with both genders before but for the last four and a half years certainly I focused just on working with women for lots of reasons um and I work specifically now with people who have either disordered relationship with exercise, disordered eating or an eating disorder. And obviously it's very important to clarify those disordered eating disorders are, are, are different. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what I what I do. So it's personal training, I guess, but we're sort of not doing it from an aggressive standpoint. We're doing it from a place of sort of rehabilitation, um, rebuilding connection and relationship with ourselves, with our bodies and sort of future proofing the body. Um, obviously, you know, when people are in the grips of disordered relationships with food or exercise, injuries can occur. And we're obviously looking to kind of future proof the, the, the body again, find maybe not a, a love for our bodies because that's a very very difficult thing I don't love my body every day even even now so I think we go for a place of you know respect acceptance and then anything that develops from there is is a good thing but that's in a nutshell what mm. I do I'm a personal trainer work with people who have complicated relationships with food and exercise amazing thank you um and I'm interested in that you said the future proofing of your body and you kind of explained it a little bit so is that basically like the the you know generating some muscle mass and and things so, yeah and kind of bone yeah. health I suppose as well sure absolutely within um you know some eating disorders particularly things like anorexia you can obviously develop um you know a reduced bone density so we look to increase muscle mass and help with with those kind of things improving strength mobility 
um improving cardiorespiratory systems but you know that obviously comes with with time but it's 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 to as i say sort of future proof the body i mean i guess with advances in modern modern medicine will be sort of hopefully here sort of in our 90s and, and beyond so it really is just making sure that where the body has gone through a lot of trauma there are things we can do to sort of help to to rebuild to make sure that the body is strong and preventing injuries as much as we can and, and rehabilitating injury if there is but just generally creating um a strong framework that people can go on and sort of live a more healthy and you know more relaxed sort of life really amazing amazing and yeah i'm i'm excited to do this podcast because i often speak with personal trainers who you know yeah. who say i'm not really quite sure what to do with people who i'm worried about who have an eating disorder and you know, i don't really know how to kind of traverse it uh, and i think we could really touch on some important stuff i i think the first thing i wanted to talk about um because we can get on to what personal trainers and people who work with people with eating disorders can do as we move on. But I want to talk about what, what, because I, I've been a personal trainer um, previously and, um, and I have lived experience with an eating disorder uh, and I can fully understand the kind of stress and pressure and fear that personal trainers might feel if they find out that one of their clients has a difficult relationship with exercise and with eating. So I guess my first question is, did you experience that fear at first and and how has that progressed as you kind of worked more with people so my journey is that I also have lived experience with, with an eating disorder I had an eating disorder for over 20 years and it really was to me um and it, it's, it's important to caveat this with saying that the, the things that help me are not the, the same tools for everyone I think we really have to be so careful um when we use phrases like movement is medicine it it, it isn't it isn't you know there is there are clinical therapies and there are you know registered healthcare professionals that we absolutely need to seek the the, the, the help of um you know going you know running sort of helped me because it, I was able to think okay I can actually get this mile in this time now and that's kind of how my relationship with, with exercise and my eating sort of you know improved um going for a run is not the same as seeking clinical help so just to absolutely caveat that because I do think we do get reliant on movement just curing everything and it, it can it's a wonderful tool obviously I'm evangelical about that but it has to be perhaps in connection with with other things I'm so glad um, you said that just because that's something that I really want I really try and push with my mind a lot yeah. is I often say that we just need to we need to update the narrative around exercise because currently yeah. it's it's based like in the I'm maybe simplifying a bit but it's basically more exercise equals more health and that's not the case yeah, there is there is a point yeah and it's also important to say that people there are people and I'm talking eating disorder specifically here that shouldn't be exercising um I I obviously we'll, we'll talk about mind plus motion later but the the reason I wanted to launch that was because currently the blanket advice is if you are if you're seeking eating disorder treatment, you stop exercising. And that is absolutely appropriate for some people. It really, really is. Um, but there are people slipping through the net who it's not appropriate for, and it would be appropriate for them to have help with. But in terms of sort of like um, personal trainers and, and what they can, can do, the first thing is to be okay with the fact that you might not know what to do and to stay in your lane and to signpost to organizations that can help. Um, you know, I, I obviously have experiences with eating disorders, but if you don't have experience and if, if someone is kind of telling you or kind of noticing things that you don't feel comfortable with, you absolutely have to, you know, recognize that, recognize this has gone beyond your scope of practice 
and that's okay like even like this year I've had stuff that I'm like ah that's too far for me I need to get someone else in and signpost it doesn't make you a bad trainer it doesn't make you inexperienced it makes you responsible and ultimately makes you a better trainer because you're doing your client a service right because that's what we're all here to do is to help clients and to give them good outcomes um if we're trying to be everything we're trying to be physios and you know, clinical psychologists that's it's not us we are you know we have a finite amount of scope of practice it's so important yeah um, I think so I think sorry to... sorry to put in again um but of I think course. I think it's 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 yeah there's a lot of fear that people who are like right. personal trainers and stuff who are working with eating disorders I think people are scared that they have to be a clinician and I think it's yes. really that's such an important message that you made there that we're not expecting you to be a doctor or a physio or someone who who can you know fix in inverted commas there the the, the, you know, the problem Absolutely. that's going on your responsibility is to be someone to open up a space where they can talk and you know allow someone to speak and I'm sure we'll get onto this as we mm-hmm. as we go through but you know yeah it's really important to understand that the that, that pressure that you put you you might feel isn't an actual expectation it, it's understandable that you might feel that pressure but it isn't actually something you have to you have to do yeah no absolutely and you know like like i've said it's so important that referring people like i always just think like you know if you had a toothache you wouldn't go to a, to a physio do you know what i mean they're both sort of medical or, or clinical practices but there is a very clear scope of practice and that's completely fine it doesn't you do not have to be all things to all people and ultimately you're going to potentially invalidate your insurance you're going to provide a negative outcome for that client and also it's stressful for you so just stay away there are a couple of things that pts can do firstly there is a course from the brilliant ladies who have created worked out it's worked ed out and they are providing training for people for personal trainers and fitness professionals within the industry to recognize the signs of an eating disorder and what people can do so that's 100 something i would recommend that, that fitness professionals seek also beat the national um, eating disorder charity are doing some fantastic work in this space um, and they can help you with signposting so there will be the first two sort of points of call that i would go to beat not only have a helpline as you know they also have um kind of a lot of good really really excellent written resource on their on their website um so that's a really easy sort of fix um but yeah, actually that's i actually had sorry one more, one more button <laughs> i actually had um carly from worked worked out on the pod previously yeah i really really admire them i think what they're doing is, is so needed um massively needed because it's a complicated area it really is and there's also i i i think the other thing the other point to address is as well as you know signposting that's great but how do you know when you're when they're comfortable to be signposted um and um, I, personal training is that, isn't it? It's very personal. And hopefully you build up a one-to-one relationship. I've got clients that I've worked with for sort of more than four or five years now. Um, and you do build a very close relationship with them, which is a real honor. And hopefully you're in a space where they feel comfortable to kind of talk to you about things and, 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 and whatnot. But it is difficult to know when to actually approach the question of, are you okay? And, and all those kind of things. But I think you just have to, you know your clients and I think we always have to remember that when we're trying to signpost people we're doing it from a place of responsibility and we're doing it because we care we're doing it because we want to provide a really good sort of client outcome um so it can be nerve-wracking I really understand that you might think it's it's too much and you don't want to get involved and I, I do understand that but I think we have to remember sometimes what would the consequence be if you didn't um and it's far better perhaps to I think um it's better perhaps to risk that rather than letting something go unnoticed unhelped 
for a long, long time. And actually the conversation you have with them might just be the one they needed. The other thing I would say is that eating disorders love confrontation. So we don't come at it from like a, there's something wrong with you, go and get help. Like we don't come from it from an aggressive place. We do it from a supportive place, an open questioning kind of place, not a aggressive one. Because if you confront an eating disorder, it will confront you right back and it will win. It will does. Yeah, I think there's, um, you may have already heard of this before, but I think they, they attribute like animals to it now. Um, but there are different, yeah. people talk about different coaching styles with people with eating disorders. Um, I don't know the animals, but I know, um different names for them and the the three that i've come across is um the avoidance which is the person that thinks oh someone else will deal with it um the, yeah. the confrontational which is the one you just mentioned there where you, you and i think i think it's important to to say that i i think it's it's normal to be frustrated if you're trying to help someone with eating disorder because as someone who has an eating who has has an eating disorder yeah. <laughs> i 100% understand that it was really annoying to try and help me because i didn't want the help so you know, i think don't don't be ashamed of yourself if you are getting frustrated but you recognize managing yourself or whatever yeah. and it's not yeah, yeah for sure yeah Re recognize that it's something that you um yeah, that you feel and then you know wait until it calms down or you you think of other ways to to go about it yeah and then the third one is the kind of um i forget the the term they used i think it's uh i can't remember i think it's like something like supportive or something like that where it's you like what i'm sure we'll, we'll touch on as we go through and that's the thing and you don't have just you can't you, you i think also we need to remember that you don't just have one shot like you don't just have one conversation ever again like it can be ongoing you know maybe you you continue you that first conversation you have with the client is opening up a dialogue you don't have to have these you don't have to be like right you have an eating disorder i'm worried about you here's worked out here's beat off you go that doesn't have to be the end of the conversation it can really be the opener um and just yeah yeah so that's why it is so important that that first conversation or the first even if it's you know even you're sort of asking sort of leading questions and hopefully they will come and sort of open up to you and you know or checking in if they've got friends and family and that's the other thing that beat do really well is they have friends and family resource so you can kind mm. of find post that as well but but yeah it's it's a it's a big area and i i do understand um you know not wanting to have the conversation and and how you even begin it mm. um it's very difficult very very difficult that, indeed but um I, this is this is definitely a difficult question for you so i apologize ahead of me mm. asking it um but you, you mentioned <laughs> yeah you meant you mentioned there you know going up to someone and saying i think you have an eating disorder um you know here's some stuff is that something you mm. think someone should do and and how would they how would they word that I'm not sure that um, it's very difficult. So I guess there's two tranches in the fitness in, in environment. There's the gym floor and there's one-to-one. -one. So one-to-one -one is very easy. Well, it's not, that's completely unfair. It's not very easy. It's easier, of course, because you have a relationship, you know, over time. So I don't think we should say things like, I think you have an eating disorder because that's almost us diagnosing them. And we're not, that's not our place to diagnose and to offer clinical diagnosis. I think you can say something more along the lines of, you know, how are you doing? And just, just kind of going from there and just saying like, I've noticed, I don't know, this kind of, you know, I've noticed that when we, we talk, we're talking, you know, you're talking about things a little bit more intensely, like, are you okay? And that's kind of one-to-one -one conversation you can have. On the gym floor environment, maybe you get 
to know someone you know I, I did I, I did PT on the gym floor for a long time um you do get to know people hopefully and if particularly if you're seeing someone coming in you know more than twice a day for example or more than once a day really um you know twice a day beyond or coming sort of regularly spending a long long time in the gym so I'm talking like upwards of an hour really and you can kind of see they're quite intensely um there will be other little signs as, as, as well you know perhaps what they're wearing and eating and drinking whatever all those kind of things um but going up to them and maybe being alongside and just saying hey how are you doing like can I you know do you can I offer some help with your exercise program or, or whatever and it could be anything but I think an, an opener is, is is a good thing because again if you just go up to somebody and confront them on the gym floor they're going to do one of two things they're never going to come back and they're going to go somewhere else and get worse or they're going to confront you and it's just going to be an awful experience for both of you so I think just sort of starting to open a relationship, just saying, oh, hey, I saw you this morning, like, are you okay? Like, just just making it not about the eating disorder, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you're kind of opening, but you're not, because people don't want to feel judged. Like, there's enough, goodness me, there's enough judgment that goes on, on the gym floor. Um, yeah. And that, that's and- kind of why, that's, that's kind of why I asked you about it, is because I just, I know there's probably going to be personal trainers listening to this and I don't want someone to hear us say that and then just go up to someone and say, I think you've got yeah, an eating disorder. So never never um, just go up to someone on a gym floor and say, I think you've got an eating disorder because it's just the absolute wrong decision. Yeah. I think, I think, but, um, um, I think that one of the, one of the, um, there are several things that people have to be careful of when, when going up and making that first approach. I want one thing I often ex- say to people is there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. I think yes. sympathy is, you know, feeling sorry for someone thinking that they're like lesser and, and you know, there's something wrong yes. with them and you have to help them. And empathy is understanding that every single person on the planet has something that they use to cope with the stresses of life. And right. some people it, it turns to an eating disorder or turns to some yeah. kind of disorder and you're, you're in the same boat and you just, mm-hmm. you're here to help and to, and to create a space for them to talk. And that's why you're there. And I think make sure you have that approach when you, if you, come with it don't feel sorry for people they're, you know, they're not they're not like you know yeah somewhat lesser than you are um you understand that they're just they're in the same boat as you and it's just something that they've they've started doing yeah absolutely I mean you know certainly for me you know running was the thing that kind of got me through my eating disorder I mean it wasn't just I went for a run and you know I never had a relapse again that's certainly not what happened but for me, it was a coping mechanism. And ultimately, you know, throughout lockdown, um, my referral rate and my, you know, inquiry rate went th- absolutely through the roof when sort of gyms were closed and things. And I do think the gym is such an important space. And I know we kind of say, you know, exercise, mental health is important and it is. But I think for some people, it's not just, oh, I feel better now. I felt a bit stressed earlier, but now I feel fine. It's literally life-saving. Um, you know, I don't even need to go into the stories of people that we've lost this year, but it for, for people it really is is life-saving um that routine that structure um is is so important and that is why it's so important to keep that space as judgment-free as possible you know I, I have clients with um anorexia who speak of being not allowed into classes and not being allowed but into the gym and these it's just the repercussions of even little comments or or little things and it's yeah it's it's yeah, it can it can literally be the difference between life or death. So we're not we always like you say going from place of empathy, place of not understanding because if you haven't got lived experience, it's difficult to understand. And it's not as simple as someone just saying, "Oh, I'm just going to start eating properly again," or "I'm just going to only do that one run today." Mm. 
going from a place of understanding, making the space on the gym for as judgment-free as possible and knowing that they're welcome, that they can approach people for help. It's, it's, it's a very difficult area, of course, but there mm. are things that you can do, like you say, like not judging people, making sure they feel welcomed, comfortable, supported, and ultimately they will come back and hopefully maybe that conversation, maybe that's, you know, that relationship you build with them is, is the difference between them continuing on the path they were perhaps and actually deciding to get some help and to, yeah, to, to perhaps just check in with, with their relationship with exercise. That could really be a good, good thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's another thing you touched on there, which is really important is um, even, I think unless someone is obviously very physically unwell and to the point where they're you know they're they're fainting or something in the gym when they're exercising i think it's really important don't don't immediately don't think that you're doing um always a positive thing by stopping them from exercising i think it's really important don't don't make don't make them stop because you think oh they've got an eating disorder or something because like you said for some people that could like although although it's not necessarily beneficial for them that could be the last thing that's keeping them going at the moment and yeah you you just never know you never know what is going on so yeah i think i think we've spoken a lot about um you know personal trainers kind of uh how to approach people and and how to kind of start that initial conversation and and that kind of the the wariness around that what about after you've spoken to someone after someone's kind of um said that they have an eating disorder or have some kind of issue and you've kind of accepted that and you're still working with them what kind of stuff can people do then so how i how i do it in my um in my studio is generally I make sure that if they are working with someone with a GP or with a healthcare professional that you do try and link up, it's really important. So I often work with you know, clinical psychologists and, um, and therapists. Not using anything triggering in terms of language or in terms of your goal, like what you perceive the client should be working towards. So that's really important. So you may you need to kind of change the focus of your of, of the workout. So we're not obviously doing it from an aesthetic point of view, perhaps. Um, you know, we're focusing on strength and rehab, all those kind of things. And we're just not using words like, you know, burning or shredding or torching calories, none of that no diet chat whatsoever and instead you know focus on you know getting to me like now you can lift deadlift 50 kilos or those kind of things so that's that's how I would kind of approach the sessions um but as I say making sure we're not triggering clients with any form of language roping in other healthcare professionals if you need and making sure that you're working you know collaboratively collaboratively I can't say the word collaboratively with them is really really important but chatting to your client as well like what do they want to do like what makes them feel good like I often you know it's so important that when a client comes to me I never say like right I think you should do this I think you should do that the client is coming to you it's their session what do they want to work on you might love deadlifting they might hate it I hate press ups for example but some of my girls love them so it really personal training is about them and what they want to get out of the session so open up that conversation again chat to your client talk about where they are that day and you know it's going to change from day to day. Some days they might come in bouncing full of energy and some days they might be having a really low image day. Like that happens often with my girls. Sometimes they come in and they're just having a bit of a day. So often, to be honest, George, sometimes we spend the first 10, 10, 10 15 minutes just having a chat and just checking out where they're in. And we might we might combine that with some stretching or, you know, a bit of mobility. But 
it's so important to just remember that when we're personal training people with eating disorders, yes, you might have, you know, A1, A2 that you want to get in your session, but it's going to, your program is going to go off track sometimes. And it's so important to kind of understand that, go with it a little bit, have a bit of a plan B in the back of your mind. Um, yes, we want to progress with strength. Of course we do. But when we're programming for personal training, it's different. We're not just going, you know, we're not just progressing exercises over, say, a block of eight weeks or whatever. It's slightly different. Um, but just being open to changing the way you're working, getting from your client what it is they want to do mm. and working with health professionals as much as you can. And again, remembering that if your client comes in that day and the program you've set out doesn't get achieved, that's okay. It doesn't make you a bad trainer. And that happens to me all the time, even now. Every yeah. week we'll change something or we didn't quite get to what I wanted to or whatever. But it's it's just a slightly different way. But ultimately, I think the benefit long-term is much, much greater if you're mm. kind of more collaborative with your client. And, you know, they're, 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 they're the ones that are most important. It's not about you. And I think this is a universal point for PT, actually. Um, your client is the one sort of showing up. We're, we're instructing, we're coaching, we're helping them what to do, but ultimately they're the ones putting in the work and they're the ones that deserve the credit, the support, the encouragement. Yeah, I one hundred percent, and I'm I'm glad that you you said that. I think because I I agree. I think it is something that all personal trainers should go should go towards. And I think another another thing on top of that, I think um it's re- that's really important is the fact that the exercise should be fun. There's so, there's so much like yes. um, narrative around the fact that exercise is this like you have to push past pain and you have to and and sure you have to like you know if you if you want if you want to progress in something you, you there is effort going to be put in but it doesn't it it doesn't mean that it can't be oh. fun and in fact it, it should be fun. Um, no, absolutely. I think I think a really good thing for people um, for PTs and stuff is to. Uh, ask ask your client what exercises they like doing and don't like doing and don't say this is my biggest pet peeve Hannah in the entire world ever and um, when people say um oh because you hate that exercise that must mean it's the one you have to do that's the most important one if you hate it then obviously your body's telling you you have to do it that frustrates me more than anything in the entire world um the idea that your body would say would would not like an yeah. exercise and therefore it's important is so frustrating but i think another thing um is that <laughs> you know, when when you when you ask clients for the exercises um like understand that there's, there's some pressure i think from the client's perspective to adhere to those exercises that they know are like well respected again in in inverted commas in the gym so if you ask them what's your favorite exercise they might say oh yeah i love deadlifts and and stuff because that's what everyone says is great and you know so understand try and break down those barriers as well and understand that you really want to try and get into what that person likes and what that person wants to do sure absolutely and oh yeah absolutely it's so important so i always whenever i start with a new client there's three things that i'd never do with clients ever three of them one is I never put a client on a treadmill for, and this is kind of like outside of ED because frankly, they don't need to pay. They don't need to pay me to watch them on a treadmill for an hour. It's mad, madness, madness. And it's, sorry, that's my biggest pet peeve. And this is kind of like before I work with eating disorders, like don't put your client on a treadmill for 20 minutes. Like that's so lazy. I mean, look, I'm sure if there's a valid reason, fine, marathon training, whatever. Anyway, 
So we may use it for a warm-up, whatever, but apart from that, we're off it. Um, burpees, hate them. I don't do them. I think there's so many things that can go wrong with them. Um, we never do them. I never do my, I hate them. And the other thing we don't do is anything the client doesn't like. You're so right. Like none of my girls will go on a travel for a long time. None of my girls will do burpees and none of them are going to do anything we hate. So like if, if one of my clients hates press-ups, fine. We'll do another, you know, we'll do, we'll work chest and back in a different way. Um, ultimately, I think there are, and also there's, an, uh, in terms of like exercises, so like plank, push up, whatever, understanding that regressions are not, always bad like they're not well they're not ever bad but like doing a plank on your knees doing press-ups on your knees and stuff like these are fine these are valid ways of working and everyone always says to me oh I can't do push-ups I can only do them on my knees I'm like well you can do them then like you can do them but you're still doing it and ultimately I think it's just kind of instilling confidence in your client that F I, I um, always talk about intensity so I don't talk about I never say like this is the hard version full press up this is the easy version on your knees because they're not because the effort's the same so if someone is struggling to do them on their knees that is the same effort perhaps as someone doing them on their toes so talking about intensity effort like all these things are just so so important and ultimately your client is going to not come in and dread like the biggest compliment that I have in my sessions is that people look forward to it like, I love it. And I never want someone to be trending, thinking, oh, my God, I've got to go and see Hammond today. I don't want that. Like, do I think they're going to look forward to working every time? No, because we're human. And frankly, I was going to go for one this morning. I just didn't go. Like, you know, it happens. And But I, I never want them to dread the session content. And I just think the best way, like, for me in life and not just for personal training, I've never got the best out of someone by belittling them and making them feel awful and unconfident ever. I've never got the best out of anyone like that. Like if you support people, empower them, encourage them, yes, you know, they're going to have to push beyond their comfort zone a little bit. And I'm certainly not suggesting that my girls don't work hard because they do. Um, but you do it from a place of encouragement, a place of fun. And suddenly, you know, that's that really is where the magic is because people are not, they're not afraid to fail. So if we mm -hmm. say, right, we're going to push this, we're going to just give another kilo to this kettlebell swing or give another kilo for this deadlift, they do it. Mm -hmm. And the joy is, is wonderful. And it instills, particularly the eating disorder recovery, if a client is then doing something they didn't think they could do, um, and it takes time, but I do start to see that confidence going through other areas of their recovery, other areas of their life. They're like, oh my God, my body allowed me to do this. It's a really magical thing. It really is. Yeah. And uh, uh, one thing I just, I'm thinking about as we're going through that um, is what about if, if you're, you're working with a client and you're, you're trying to push this idea of, of working out for um your know, strength gain or for you know just for fun or something like that but they're being really you know we, we spoke about the confrontation that's going to be there how do you kind of ease that in or what would you say for recommending how to ease that in easing in in the the ideas time. around like yeah fun and around strength yeah yeah you just do it you just set it in from day like you just i mean it sounds crazy but you just it's it, that's a difficult question for me to answer because I think that's just how I naturally work like I'm I'm never like from day one you know I hope that my clients go away feeling a little bit better um and feeling like you know they've, they've worked and you know they've they've put a bit of effort in but you know it's been fun 
I just think you just naturally have to do it. I don't think it's something you can weave in. I think it's there, to be honest. I think it's there or it's not. Um, and that's on you and your personality and how you want to perceive yourself as a trainer. If you want to be someone who's super aggressive and super like beast mode, do you know what? There are people that will respond well to that. Not many, I don't think, but there are people that will respond well. And if that's the kind of trainer you want to be, that's fine. Um, I would say for long-term, you know, and I'm with my business head on long-term client retention, you want to be in the business of making people feel good and making them want to come to you specifically and building a relationship with you for sure. So for client retention and client trust results in terms of their recovery and progressing with strength and fitness, just be nice. Like, just don't be awful. Like, it's just not, I don't know. And it, it, it's frustrating to me because I just, I don't feel, I don't understand why you would work any other way. Like, I just, I don't understand it. When I hear these awful horror stories from some of the girls I've worked with before, like I have a client, I, you know, I've had clients with eating disorders and they're putting them on, you know, like calorie counted. I'm like, are you insane? Like, what is going through your head that you would do that? But it is terrifying. And I think a lot of that, a lot of the time that happens because I think PTs and perhaps aren't as experienced or, or whatever or have one very specific type of client they work with I think where PTs can go wrong is you put your own training and your own preferences and your own beliefs around food diet exercise and you know morally and you progress that you put that onto every client but that's not what we should be doing what we believe and what we feel and what our goals are that's irrelevant like that you leave that at the studio door it is every single person you work with is different you have to be so open into working in you know gosh I have upwards of 30 clients now I have to work in 30 different ways plus and it's a lot it's exhausting and it takes a lot of your energy but it's personal right I love lower body stuff some of my clients hate it you know yeah. it would be very easy for me just yeah but it's so important to remember that the session is for them not for you <laughs> sure that, that's that's so important I think um even I like that you you touched on the fact that even as from a business perspective even if we look at it like purely logically take out all the um emotion you know uh, one is business perspective you're gonna you're gonna be able to keep clients you're gonna be able to make more money because people are gonna want to work with you because they feel good when they work with you and their friends are gonna tell you oh yeah when I work with that person I feel great when I come out of the gym I don't feel like crap like I normally do um, and yeah. and two, even from a purely like um, performance perspective, if you're trying to, you know, we know that periodization and being able to, you know, slowly build up in in intensity and things is is, um, sorry, I'm forgetting the word. It's early. Um, is like optimal for um, you know, performance outcomes. So it not, on, not yeah. only are you going to keep more clients, but they're actually going to get better results because they're not going to burn out and they're not going to be exhausted yeah, all right. the time. Absolutely. So it's just, it's just Absolutely. a win-win. Yeah. But I think also not, not, not promising too much from the outset. So again, you know, I'm very aware there was a market, particularly in London for these sort of 12 week pro transformational programs, these sort of like programs that provide promise and a certain amount of results within X amount of weeks. Right. And then if you don't get, if you don't get what you were hoping to, like, have you failed as a program failed as a trainer failed? I don't know. So I think like being very prescriptive about results. So like double your deadlift in four weeks, for example, well, it might not because you know, at week three, you might get struck down with a cold, for example, or like the gyms might close again or any, any myriad of things could happen. Um, 
so I just yeah I, again I just think like kind of not over promising but you know just saying okay we'll work I, I, I get that you know when we're taught with PTs you kind of work in smart goals you know and you kind of put you and I, I think to an extent there should be some element I mean you don't want to be kind of doing the same thing in 12 months time so you do have to be aware of like progressing your programming of course um but yeah just kind of over not over promising I think and just kind of seeing how it goes and just going from there and, and as you you know as you kind of see your as you get to know your client a bit more and you work with them for a bit longer then hopefully um you know you can start to look at time scales and things but at the at the beginning you know let's just chill let's just get people used to you used to their <laughs> the workout like it doesn't yeah again it's difficult for me to understand another way of working because I just don't understand why anyone who is in a client facing industry would do anything other than put their client first and yeah. what's best for them and how you, you can best support them. It's, I don't get it. It's, I think, I think there's a lot of ego in PT sometimes. Yeah. I think, I do think, I think it's ego and I think it's the, I think it's the way fitness is, is shown in social media. And it's, I think yeah. so much of the way people talk about fitness is that it's your, um, responsibility to mold around fitness not fitness is responsibility to mold around you but it should be yeah. it should be that you know, I think far too often we see like you just said then with those 12 week things and stuff is if you if you do this program and it doesn't work it's because you didn't do it right you didn't put enough effort in you didn't do something wrong right. it's yeah. not it's never Are the program right? wasn't right for you but it's always that the program wasn't right for you because that's why you didn't. That's why it didn't work is because you 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 didn't adhere to it because you didn't like it or you didn't enjoy it or you you know whatever. There's so it's never it's not that person's fault. It's the and it's not. I don't want to think you know PT. It's your fault and blame yourself. But just understand that it's you know it's it's a work in progress and it's something you have to work towards and that's okay. And make sure your client knows that if it isn't working out, it's not because they're. A bad person or wrong or weak or whatever it's just because it this wasn't right and you'd have to change it and you will change it yeah yeah absolutely and that that is why it's so important and i you know i would try and get away from as much as possible and you know these programs whatever have their place of course i think I, and that, that's the that's the other thing i think to say is i do i i'm never gonna come out and say i don't think that's you should that shouldn't exist that shouldn't exist that shouldn't exist because actually i think the good thing about the fitness industry is there are so many options to so many different people and I think it's you know there is quite a lot to wade through um in terms of people finding what's right for them but ultimately you know these things exist because there is a market for that product but I I think in terms of like long-term health and fitness and long-term strength progression long-term rehab injury prevention all of that just chill out on the time scales like and that's the best way right because then fit, fitness is for life if fitness isn't six months not 12 months it should be something that we incorporate every week into our you know with, within within reason and there obviously will be very valid exemptions and exceptions to that so yeah we we don't we don't have to do everything in four weeks we don't have to do everything in five weeks we don't have to go from naught to jet from gladiators in four weeks like you just yeah. don't have to do that very i would go, i always go as far as to say just don't don't put impression. time scales in at all like i just don't i don't i just don't exactly. think they're, they're needed no. I, I i don't with any of my clients and obviously that's you know we're working in a very specific way but i have worked with some of my clients for years and years mm. and that's because fitness is just all kind of working out and moving um I kind of prefer the word movement at the moment over over yeah. exercise for lots of reasons um but you know kind of movement is just an integral part of their week 
that's it. And yes, they've got stronger over time. And yes, we might kind of go through block phases where I don't know if a bit more deadlift focused or a bit more press, whatever. Um, but essentially, it's just in, incorporating movement into their life each week, twice a week, however yeah. often they see you. Yeah, I think, yeah, and that's, I think obviously there's exceptions where people are maybe like um, athletes and they're, you know, they have like a performance week or, or something. Yeah. Um, but obviously we're talking in general terms here. But anyway, we've, 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 nearly spoke for we spoke for like 40 minutes and i haven't even talked about mind plus motion so tell us about mind plus motion yeah so mind plus motion is an idea i've had for years years and years and years and then last year i about actually this time i was like right i'm actually gonna do it now so mind plus motion is an extension of the work i'm doing in the studio with clients with eating disorders so the way I work with clients with eating disorders is about reframing how they see exercise. So reframing what exercise and movement means to them. So we're trying to, I guess what we're trying to do is really move it away from it being purely about caloric expenditure and with an aesthetic focus, moving it more towards sort of just movement, um, rehabilitation, strength building and um, confidence. Confidence is a massive part of recovery, of course, as I've seen and, and you'll be aware of. So, there really aren't that many options for people to move who have eating disorders or a disordered relationship with eating exercise. There just aren't that many. There's not a lot online. So I only have a finite amount of hours in the day. I can't really see anyone. I was struggling. There are some great trainers, but I was struggling for people to refer them to. Um, so I thought I'd create something. So I did that. So I created Mind Plus Motion, which is an online recovery tool so it's really important to stress that it is not the solution it's a recovery tool and hopefully a useful one but it's essentially six weeks talk about time scales but it is it, you have you know time you have six weeks worth of content and you can use it as often as you want and in whatever way you want the workouts or the movement sessions i film myself they're real time they are on demand so you can use them as ever you want and they are the exact ethos of how I work in the studio. So how I am online is exactly how I am in the studio. I want people to feel encouraged. They're suitable for all abilities. There's lots of different options. Um, throughout the entire content, you're advised, you're encouraged to stop. If you need extra rest time, you take it. There's about, I don't know, 40 work. I can't even think how many there are in there. It's about, there's, there's about 20 real-time sessions, more than that, I think now. But you can use them however you want. If you want to just use one a day, that's for one a week or whatever, that's fine. Um, when you sign up, um, it was important for me obviously to protect those with eating disorders. So when you sign up, the content is released every week. So it automatically, if you sign up on a Tuesday, you won't get the next weeks until the calendar week. And that's important so people don't feel overwhelmed with content. But then it's yours forever and you can use it as often as you as you want. We've got some lovely ambassadors of which you are one of them. Um, and it's just really lovely to start to see a community of people building and hopefully getting a lot of value and, and help from the project. But yeah, ultimately it was because I would love to see everyone in the studio, but I just don't have the hours in the day. And this was also a way of, you know, really, really dramatically reducing the price point. So hopefully it's as, as accessible for as many people as possible. Um, yeah, so hopefully it's there and you can use it in the gym. You can use it at home. You don't need any equipment or you can use equipment like mm -hmm. it's, designed to be as versatile as possible and yeah and I, I honestly I remember when I first um heard about the idea and I I was 
just absolutely blown away by what an incredible idea it was um and is and yeah i just i think it's so amazing that you've made this tool and like i said i'm, I'm so proud to be an ambassador for it and i think it's kind of revolutionary and i think it's really going to help a lot of people in a lot of ways um and yeah from the bits i've seen and 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 stuff i think it's yeah i just think it's 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 wonderful and such an amazing idea um it was yeah it was, it was a long time in the planning and also importantly is that i didn't just again talk about scope of practice I didn't just do this myself so like I have actively sought advice from clinicians who work at the Maudsley from clinicians who work with BEAT so I really have tried to get clinicians I spoke to many eating disorder doctors you know psychologists therapists whilst creating it to make sure that it was actually and a clinician I was like would you would you use this with your client and if her answer if her answer had been no then we would have scrapped the entire thing and gone again so I'm I'm very glad to have hopefully created something that clinicians will actually feel comfortable using because that's the litmus test, right? If they would use it, then then great. So it's there, um, it's available for people to use if they if they want to, and then hopefully it just becomes a tool they can use whenever they want. They can put it up, you know, pick it up, put it down whenever they whenever they want to. Um, like I say, it's not the solution, but hopefully it would just be maybe the start of someone's journey or they can use it alongside seeking help. A really important caveat is that if you have been told not to move or to avoid exercise, then please, please, please take that advice. Take it seriously. It's there to protect you. It's really important. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and uh, so, so tell me a little bit about the actual um, exercises that are in it, like the way you talk in it um, how it, oh. how it all kind of works for people. <laughs> Sure. So um, the movement sessions are anywhere between, I think, 20 to 50 minutes, something like that. They kind of vary. They do increase slightly in intensity as we go through. But essentially, we have some mobility sessions. We have some more. It's primarily strength focused for obvious sort of reasons um, in terms of rehab. Um, but there are some sort of more, you know, some circuits in there too, um, just to kind of keep things up. So it's it's quite mixed. So we have sort of a bit of bit of a lot of mobility, lot some kind of strength work, and then some sort of cardio circuits in there in there too. Um, the way I talk is kind of how I would in the session. So it's very informal. Um, I was very keen to include things. So I thought about editing them out, but I didn't. So if I'm doing lunges and I've wobbled, it's in because. I'm a human and I will fall and I will wobble and I will get tired. And I want, I, I, that was important to me to keep in because I wanted people to realize that, you know, I'm not super, I'm not super woman, like I'm going to fall on things. So these human moments are really important to embrace. They happen in the studio, they happen in real life. I wanted them to happen with mindful motion. So it's just, um, it goes every week. Um, there's also accompanying worksheets as well, which are a huge, huge part of the program. So you have a, a movement session and then you'll also have an accompanying worksheet for that week. Um, sometimes there's, there's upwards of, of, there's more like two or three worksheets per week to go through. So the worksheets are vital actually, and they're talking about um, just, get the, it's, a lot of the work is, is on the user. So kind of inviting you to explore your relationship with, with movement, what you hope to get out of, the mind plus motion workshop and then we kind of you know check in about week three and how are you doing and the other thing that was really important for me to include with mind plus motion is I wanted people to have a practical tool to take away so I teach you how to create your own workout and how to what to structure that and how that should look like there's also some anatomy and physiology stuff in there so what muscles are you using so when you squat you know what are you actually using saying with press ups and planks so I hope that it's a tool that people can 
benefit from with them in terms of their mental health and relationship with exercise, but also they get some knowledge and they can actually go away and have more productive sessions so rather than kind of just doing the same thing and being in a rut and maybe that not helping your recovery at all perhaps having some more knowledge um would be really useful and actually when we went through the trials because it was fully trial before we launched it that was a really like lovely bit of feedback that we got that people were actually now I know more about my body I've managed to improve my relationship with it so that was a huge huge thing for us to include yeah I was gonna I was gonna say I bet that um like physiological um, knowledge would be a really it would be a different yeah. way of looking at your your body as to the kind of the normal ways that you might be looking at it um i'm aware that we're we're kind of getting on with time and i don't know if you <laughs> if you've got something immediately after so i'm gonna start to accelerate us along but of yeah every, i will put a link down below to um, mind plus motion and people can check out the kind of um web page and stuff so um i can hannah, talk about this every day that's the <laughs> hannah it is time for the devil's advocate it's the devil's advocate. <laughs> okay, so we have a little jingle that I'll put in there for people who, who are listening at home. Um, so this is, for people who don't know, um, this is a new segment of the podcast what, that I've brought on um, because usually when I ask people on the podcast like today, it's just me agreeing with them the whole time and me just going, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So I wanted to bring in a question where I asked something a bit controversial and against, against what they think. Okay. Um, to see Do it. What, what you have to say and be a bit more controversial. So my question to you is people with eating disorders tend to have a bad relationship with exercise. So mm. shouldn't we be discouraging these people away from exercise? Oh, you are a controversial one, aren't you? So yes, I understand that fully. However, my answer is no. Actually, no, my answer is no with a caveat. Yes, if there is a very, very low body weight, et cetera, there are absolutely medical exemptions where people should be discouraged from exercise, 100%. However, what my experience is, is that if we discourage people away from exercise and we rebuild their relationship just with food, guess what happens when they come out? That relationship with, with exercise is still there. We've not, it's just kind of, you sort of put a pin in it and then it never gets looked at in, and it, for me, the sort of the, the, the eating side and the relationship side need working to, they must be worked out together because actually I think what we must remember is that eating disorder isn't actually about food as there's, there's, well, it can be, but there's so many other things that are going on. So yeah, I would disagree strongly with the caveat that actually all we do if we discourage is that we actually ignore the problem and we don't do anything to address it. Yeah, and and normally when I ask, when I write the devil's advocate question, I kind of have an answer in my head and you basically just said what my answer would have been as well. So yeah, fantastic, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think telling telling people that they shouldn't exercise is just going to create a fear around exercise as well. And Absolutely. yeah, it's just it's just it's just not a good idea. Um, anyway, in 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 um, thinking about time, um, and I, I feel like I could speak to you about this forever because I think you oh, could yeah. probably tell it's very I'm very passionate about this, and obviously you're very passionate about it, and yeah, I feel yeah. like we could go forever. But um, I ask everyone who comes on this podcast a final three questions. Yeah. So are you ready for the first question? Yeah. Okay. Ready. Name a person, real or fictional, who inspires you. My little boy. That's quite an easy Aww. one, actually. Yeah, Aww. I have a seven-year-old and he was actually, it was when I was um, 
pregnant with him that I kind of decided that I was going to make a change so everything I kind of built up and it was a very difficult few years to begin with going from sort of you know salary to being self-employed um but yeah he he really is the the reason and also he is the person that you know I I my sort of started in childhood and it's for people like him and for his peers that I want to I really want to stop the next generation going through perhaps what our generation has been in terms of messaging that we've been exposed to. So certainly he is my little inspiration. Oh, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he hasn't, I haven't heard any noises today. I don't know if he's, he's in the house, but he's not here. Ah, okay. (laughs) There we go. Um, (laughs) Question two is a phase of your life that you didn't like at the time but looking back, you know, positives came from it. Oh, goodness me. Which one do I discuss? Um, do you know what? I, I, I think actually it was when I sort of like relapsed for the third and final time, actually, in terms of my eating disorder recovery, um, I, it really was, yeah that that was where the inspiration for wanting to change my career came from I was like I can't do this anymore like I'm done and yeah so that it was awful at the time obviously and it was horrendous to kind of admit defeat and admit that I needed help again but it was amazing in you know now now that you know seven years ago I haven't relapsed in like years and years and years and years and so yeah it was a dark time but ultimately so much good came from it so definitely there Amazing. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think you, I don't think you admitted defeat. I think you made a decision to um, work on something that was affecting you. Right, yeah. It's different. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I didn't mean defeat in terms of like thinking I can manage it myself and I, mm, I just couldn't. Yeah. And that, I think that's really important. And, and that is, I'm not trying to belittle that because I, I, I know no, how no, hard no. that is um, accepting that you might need help or might not need other people, especially I think in, in eating disorders, we often, have a lot of it's not always um but there is a lot of kind of sense of control that tends to be in there and wanting to be able to handle everything and control everything yourself yeah. and not being able to can be a difficult moment but yeah i think it's really important to be able to accept that you are human and, and that's okay um the final question hannah is yes. name a phrase to live by you know my my very very good friend Van Hass, who's also a PT and a legend, um, taught me that. She just said, if you're ever like doubting, if you're kind of thinking about going one way or another, or you're thinking about, and it can be relating to anything, you do know, like, or if you have a bad feeling about someone or a relationship, or you know, should I stay? Should I leave? Like, you know the answer. And I think we just need to trust ourselves a little bit more. And that's definitely helped me in the last couple of years about, you know, difficult decisions. But yeah, you know, is quite yeah it's quite um poignant for me for sure it's very short but it is honestly one of the best pieces of advice of she's yeah I've ever heard yeah so yeah trusting yourself and just being like yeah you do know what's up like (laughs) I think often by the time we get to the point where we're asking for advice we kind of just want to validate what we're probably already thinking Mm. yeah that's very true I I was I, I was always told if you're ever like thinking about uh two ideas and you're not sure which one to go with um flip a coin and then like put it on your hand and before you reveal it you'll be wanting it to be the heads or tails right. yeah, and absolutely. that's when you realize yeah. 
exactly yeah like just you do know and I'm and and often I think we we doubt ourselves because the decision we know is the correct one is often the most difficult one yeah it really is yeah um but yeah yeah amazing well thank you thank you so so much Hannah for coming on the pod today yeah I was amazing and I I I knew it would be like this I knew it would be that I'd want to constantly be like oh yeah I agree oh that sounds amazing oh what about this and and I'm just glad it was and yeah I'm so glad and I I think disappoint (laughs) no I think um I think it's we've said so much um like great kind of instructional and um informational stuff for people who are working in the kind of fitness industry and and things and i think i think it's really really yeah going to be a great podcast for people who are looking to try and learn about this so thank you so much and My absolute pleasure and for everyone listening at home thank you so so much for making it through another one of the podcasts and i hope to see you at the next one bye Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there, and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.